Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 189th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, man, 189. It's getting close to that big 200, which, holy shit. We've been doing this shit for like five years and only took a break twice because of tech issues on like the server side, not on our side. We've been very consistent, and it's fucking awesome. So let's get this 189th out to the people. And for those of you who are just now listening to this podcast and want our thoughts on the Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver trade to Sacramento in exchange for Wenyan Gabriel, Caleb Swanigan, and Trevor Ariza, please go back and listen to episode 188, which we recorded yesterday. It is already out. Start there. That's where our thoughts are going to be on that trade. We're probably not going to cover the trade on today's podcast because, frankly, nothing has really changed, and we dedicated an entire episode to that trade. Sage, it was a roller coaster week, which is par for the course for this Trailblazer team going two and two. They had some bright spots. You had Anthony Tolliver basically looking like Michael Jordan in that fourth quarter, helping the Blazers defeat the Charlotte Hornets 115 to 112. They follow that up with arguably the most entertaining and best win of the season in Houston, 117-107. I don't think the score was an indication of how uh, really how much of a blowout that that game was. Portland handled that game from start to finish. But then the roller coaster swayed not in Portland's favor. They go to Dallas, they lose CJ McCollum to an ankle injury, and Dame and Luka duel, but just a little bit too much Doncic for Portland to handle. The Mavericks win 120-112, to 112. and then last night, Portland plays with just eight healthy bodies, uh, and Gary Trent Jr. was with the flu, and they drop a contest to the Oklahoma City Thunder on the second night of a back-to-back, 119-106. to 106. Sage, that four-game sequence, drops the Blazers to 18-26 and on the year. They are now seven games behind the Oklahoma City Thunder without any tiebreakers anymore after that. The the two teams have split their four contests this year for the seventh seed and four games behind the impressive and surprising Memphis Grizzlies for the eighth and final seed. Right now, San Antonio, who had a big win over Miami this afternoon, and Phoenix are both ahead of Portland, and you also have New Orleans, which is awaiting Zion Williamson's debut in just three days, nipping at their heels. So Portland really is in make-or-break mode if they are going to make a playoff push. Uh, Sage, what did you what did you like from, from this week? What stood out to you? So I want to talk about that Houston game because Portland made a decision. They took a stand and said, James Harden is not going to beat us. We are going to use our limited, and I mean limited, amount of defensive capital to make sure this man does not kill us. Yes, I know Russell Westbrook had a really good triple-double game. I'm well aware of that because he helped me win a tournament. I know he did. But we made a stand and said, James, you ain't killing us. 
you're going to have to trust on Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon to have two really good games. And that stand proved to be a a W. We won that game because James Harden did not have a James Harden-like game. He only had 12 shot attempts. So the fact that we took a stand and did something different than what our defensive scheme would have us do is encouraging for the future, maybe not this season, but next when we have more defensive capital to use to attack somebody, that was huge. Anthony Tolliver having a very high ceiling game was awesome to see from all the hate that he got earlier in the season. But uh, that Houston game was just so inspiring because we didn't just stand Pat and let him kill us off pick and roll. I would agree with that. I think Portland also was smart in who they left open. There were a couple times where we let Eric Eric Gordon get, get loose for, I think he had, two separate sequences of back-to-back threes and he did shoot six of 13 from downtown but he was just seven of 18 overall it was really leaving guys like austin rivers who went over three danielle house who went one for six and ben mclemore five of 13 yes five of 13 is almost 39 percent but i don't think you would be happy if a player shot five of 13 from downtown that is a lot of attempts from the three-point line. So just taking up percentage and putting it into perspective. And the Blazers really, what uh, we were discussing on last week's episode, how they defended James Harden, they did a really nice job of not reaching in. He only got to the foul line eight times and they let him take those threes. Those are difficult shots that yes, he may be the best in the business at making them, but it's still one of the most the margin for error on his step backs from that distance off of the dribble is really thin. And it's not surprising that he is going to have a couple of games throughout the year where he just wasn't dialed in. I mean, he was one of six from downtown and I love the fact that he only shot the ball 12 times, you know, let Russ have his triple double 50% shooting. Russell Westbrook is not going to win you games. James Harden with the ball in his hand is going to win you games because he is going to really draw the ire of the defense. And that's what he did. But I thought we also did a really nice job of defending him and denying him the basketball and saying, okay, Russ, we're okay with you going. You do you because what Westbrook does is he just can't consistently put together shots. He'll make maybe two in a row, but then he'll miss his next three. You know, he's just a an inconsistent player. So you're not really ever worried about Westbrook catching fire from, from downtown. He is, he is not that type of threat. So if he hits one, that's okay. And in fact, more times than not, you're really encouraged by that because you want him to feel comfortable back there. You want him out of the paint. You want him off of the free throw line. And another really important aspect to this game was PJ Tucker, who always seems to play really well against the Blazers. Only got three attempts, and this is a Rocket team that that is struggling. They got absolutely embarrassed on national television against the Los Angeles Lakers. They have lost three straight games, and they find themselves sixth in the Western Conference, no better than where they were last season before they made that mega trade to get Russell Westbrook. I mean, that trade is looking like it is going to cost them because they gave a lot of future assets to pick up Westbrook in exchange for Chris Paul's contract. So, and also... One, it's the Houston Rockets. It is amazing to beat James Harden. It is amazing to shut Russell Westbrook up. Like, draft lottery odds be damned. That was a game where I was fully invested, 
from the jump, wanting the Blazers to win regardless of what it meant for our, our seeding. Because just for one night, you know, we we just silenced the haters. We got to talk shit about Westbrook and Harden and all of the memes from last year. Dame waving, Dame staring into the camera. It was all brought back. You know, Russell was doing his chirping, saying, you can't guard me. It's impossible. Then goes on to miss that free throw off of the end one. Was just vintage Westbrook. And then Dame and CJ really just poured it on. Combined for 49 points. They both shot damn near 50% from the field. Uh, Hassan was a beast, 18 and 18, completely outplayed Clint Capella. And then I thought just a nice cherry on top. Carmelo Anthony had a fantastic performance, a double-double, 18 and 12, 7 of 10 from the field in his first return back to Houston. A team that said, you know what, Melo, you're not good enough for us. You're not the right fit for us. We don't think this is going to work, and we think it's you, not us. We're going to leave you cut 10 games into the season. He goes out there. He has one of his best performances of the year. So as shitty as this season has been, it was really nice to have that moment, to have that victory, and it was on national television, so that's a little bonus on top as well. A bunch of our players have had uh, upper respiratory infections, and the fact that Damian Lillard and Gary Trent Jr., when it's hard to breathe when you have, like when the... Like that sickness is tough to play basketball and and Gary Trent and Dame both had very good games while being completely sick. Like th- first of all, we need to get our guys healthy physically, but it's pretty incredible to see Gary Trent pour 30 when yo when he can't breathe well, when he can't breathe efficiently. That's Yeah, he crazy. was it was reported that he was so dizzy in Dallas, he had to get subbed out and after the game he couldn't even respond whether he was okay because he was afraid he was going to vomit. Uh every player interviewed basically said I was I didn't expect him to play, but then Gary was quoted and this is just uh paraphrasing. This is my job. I get paid to do this. People going to sick people going to work sick all the time. Like there was no way I wasn't going to be available for my guys against Oklahoma city. You know, if Gary Trent's not able to play, that's only seven active bodies. They have, he really gutted it out, showed that toughness that he really probably received from his family, especially Gary Trent jr. Who was known as a tough basketball player, uh, even in his short stint with, with the Blazers and throughout his NBA career. And he goes out and he's a gamer. And you talk about Dame playing with upper respiratory, played 40 minutes, shot 52% from the field, handed out 10, 10 dimes, 34 points, and really kept Portland in that game. We had a chance to beat the Mavericks, but that was, again, CJ McCollum only plays 11 minutes because he goes out with that ankle, and it, it just wasn't enough. You got Gary Trent, who was, again, we discussed, couldn't finish the game, and so you're just left empty-handed. I mean, Hassan with another beast, 21 and 18, five blocks, 90% from the field. I think that those rests that game with the three seconds and the key, he was playing motivated as hell. And then it was like back-to-back three in the keys offensively and defensively. And it's like, man, you're just, it felt like he was getting picked on by the refs with the, with those calls. And it kind of, he looked really engaged that game and then it sort of I feel like that affected it he had good statistics but man that first quarter he was he was ready locked and loaded to have a bigger game than what he actually had but like those 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 refs were really messing with the guy 
Yeah, I thought the officials were pretty bunk that game. Luka Doncic getting every single call. You blow on him. You barely touch his hip. I mean, you act like you're taking him to the dance, and he's gets that whistle. Where on the other end, you have Damian Lillard, who was a a multi All Star, All NBA, one of the best players in the league, just as well as as Luka is, and can't buy a call going to the bucket. So that was frustrating, and. Again, and Bay's getting tackled too. It was just like Yeah, Bay's gets tackled going that to the looks ball. like that looks like NFL street type of animation where he just gets blasted and there was no call. Like even even our uh broadcasters were like, no call right there? It, yeah, you know the officials are bad when Lamar is really getting in on them. I mean, that's that's my telltale sign of okay, yes, yes, the officials are that bad because usually they're very objective even more objective than i would like them to be in most cases but he was calling them out and it, rightfully so they were pretty pretty poor calls but back to back to gary trent in that performance that he had against the oklahoma city thunder you called it you know 30 point career high playing sick plays 36 minutes shoots 12 of 18 from the field five of nine from downtown three steals five rebounds was a plus seven when he was out on the court playing with a lot of confidence, catching and shooting in rhythm, putting the ball on the floor. I think he has the potential to be a back-to-the-basket scorer. He, he, I think, could be a Steve Smith type of guard. He, he's he got the ball. Or Wes Math. Yeah, I, I think he's a little bit more fluid th- than Wesley and maybe not as stocky to, to play. Yeah, he's the, not as bulky. Yeah, yeah. To, to play the defense that Wesley had. But on offense, I could really see him becoming a Steve Smith catch and shoot, you could even post him up. If he really works on a post-up game, I know the NBA's kind of went away from that, but I think the players that start to incorporate that, they're going to be the unicorns, so to speak. And it's going to be difficult to stop because teams just don't have that in in their repertoire to go to. And we all saw last year in the semifinals against the Nuggets, having Rodney Hood be able to work his way back to the basket against Jamal Murray was the tipping point for us to win that series. And so I've just really liked the progression that I've seen from Gary Trent Jr. I think the Blaze, I think the Blazer community was really tough, unnecessarily tough on him early on, especially in summer league. And again, this is another reason why summer league just doesn't matter. I mean, he's out there to shoot the ball. And I thought in, in summer league and when he got time this year, he plays tough defense. He takes shots within the offense. Yes, he's a little bit of a chucker, but he's a shooting guard. I mean, it's literally in his position title to shoot the basketball. And it's just another example of patience. You know, I think just humans today just lack patience. We have to be patient with these players. He was a second round pick. You know, Alan Crabb, Will Barton, Jake Lehman, even Pat Connaughton. Patty Mills, I mean, these these Blazers, that they take time to develop. I mean, even C.J. McCollum took two or three years to develop. Not everyone is a Damian Lillard, Brandon Roy, just ready to go right out of the box. Like, you have to wait. And I've just really been happy with, with his performance. I, I think this is a really opportune time for him to get minutes, especially when the roster is hurt and, and dinged up, and you've even got potential for CJ McCollum to miss a little bit more time. And I think this is just a good opportunity for Gary Trent Jr. to take advantage of that and continue to build upon the momentum that he has. Because as we mentioned, this is a developmental season. And if you can get your feet wet now, he's going to be ready to contribute for a playoff contending team in the future years. 
I always thought he was going to be a good basketball player, but I thought it wasn't going to be for this team because we have a lot of guards. Now, I think he's going to be a good basketball player on this team. And that's pretty rare to find a role player where he's good on his initial team because most of these guys that you mentioned blossomed all these other places. So to see him have good games and be effective on our team makes me feel like he's not a throw in. He's going to be a rotation player on a team and be a good one for, for years to come. So it's not, he's not the, the sweetener of a trade. He's the, he's going to be a cheap, really good player for a long, for, for this contract. And he's going to be deserving of a pretty nice raise once that contracts up and be part of a Blazers core. I really, I really like what I see out of him, and you know, with with Bay's out, well, Bay's gone, and a lot of minutes to be needed to be soaked up. Gary Trent has stepped up in the the, the time that he's been given, so I really like it, and he helps spacing. So we've talked about one of Portland's 2018 draft picks. The other one, Anthony Simons, came into the league with a lot of hype. I think. It was unnecessary, the amount of hype that he was getting. And I can almost guarantee that it was Neil Olshay feeding a a lot of that hype. And I think it may have done more harm than good. Obviously, I think Anthony is an incredibly talented player, but that's a lot of pressure to put on him. He was already going to have a lot of pressure filling that third guard role that Seth Curry and Evan Turner played just a season ago. But to hear this, the best player I ever drafted, you know, watch out for this kid. Like, that's just a lot to put on Ant. And I thought he played really well early on. But, but Sage, what have you seen from, from Ant lately? Do you think it's just a extended slump? Or is it something that we should, um, I wouldn't say be concerned, but are you, are you starting to get slightly worried that he hasn't kind of broken out of his, his, his shell lately? I mean, you. We mentioned it a little while ago. These guys need time. Dudes, dude can't even get alcohol yet. He's a young guy. He, I mean, he could drink alcohol. It's just not legal for him to. But like, he's young. It takes time to develop. I mean, this is essentially his rookie year. Not all rookies are John ja Morant, where he they're just isoing and bodying shit. He he might take a little bit of time. And again, this is the season to really be patient with. Uh, you're young guys. So, no, I don't really have this uh, worry about him in the future. It's just, hey, sometimes shit gets rough. He is now on the scouting report. You can't not think about Anthony Simons when you think about this team. So teams are actually paying attention to him. And I have a feeling that teams will actually pay attention to Gary Trent Jr. when he's uh, in the corner. So it's just he and Gary We'll just need to adapt to what these NBA defenses are doing. And no, I, I don't have any problem. I, I'm not worried about uh, Ant yet. Or I think the, the only thing I want to see Anthony improve upon is his decision. I think he gets hosed. I think he's getting the Zach Collins treatment right now. But that's for another day, another discussion. I'm not worried about his jump shot. I think that's going to come around. The only thing I want to see him improve upon is his decision-making. And it seems like maybe he's been told every time you get the ball, shoot. But I think he is shooting a little too quick and a little too often. I would like to see him. I really liked 
his vision and the assist that he was racking up in that final game of the regular season against the Kings, I haven't seen a whole lot of that this year. I would like him to be a little bit more of a point guard, a little bit more of a playmaker when he gets the ball in his hands. And maybe that's because he is playing with a Dame and a CJ and they have the ball in their hands. So it's a little bit difficult for him to decide which which, which way to go or which which way to kind of focus on. But it just seems like, okay, you get the ball to Ant and the ball's not coming back. I mean, he's just looking to score green light. And I think I think he's playing with a little bit of pressure on, on himself. But, you know, I really like the alley-oop we saw against the, I think it was the Thunder. I would love to see him play off ball a little bit more. And, yeah, just when he gets the ball, work the pick and roll, try to try to make some passes, find some shooters because – I think that's going to open up his offense. It just feels like he's forcing it a little bit right now. I mean, he, he's getting the opportunity to play. He's playing, you know, damn near 25 minutes a night, and that's only probably going to increase as the season goes on. But I think I think he's just in an extended rut. I'm not worried long term. Uh, I would be lying, though, if, if I said that I would, if I'm like, you know, thrilled with, with where he's at currently, just because of how impressed I was with that final game of the season and how well he played in summer league. But again, this is his rookie year. So we do have to be patient with him. And, you know, that's another reason to kind of tune in is over these last, you know, 35 games, how does Ant progress? Like we're seeing the game start to slow down a bit for Gary Trent. Can Ant kind of start to show us, you know, he had 15 and 10 against the Heat, um, excuse me, against the Jazz uh, the day after Christmas can we start to see him put together something like that? He, excuse me, he had 19 and four against the Heat. That was that monster dunk he had in the baseline. Just want to see him get those moments because, again, like I don't think whatever we see from Anthony this year is going to deter the Blazers from his role moving on next year. Like he's still probably going to be the third or fourth guard next year. So, again, continue to see progression and development and and really offensive and defensive maturity from this this young kid like you're right he can't even buy alcohol Gary Trent Jr. just turned 21 as well so very young back backup backcourt for for the Blazers so while you were talking I was looking at his numbers and he is not assisting well at all he and JJ Redick have the same sort of assist percentage but the Blazers as a team don't assist well. So there's, I think something in the scheme is ma- making him shoot more than he should. But the fact that JJ Redick is assisting at a better rate than Anthony Simons is a little concerning. But I, again, you can, you can argue scheme. You can argue who he's playing with, that there's a lack of shooters in that second unit. There's a lot of things you can argue. That's true. And that's something I didn't think about just now. It, it, who Who is he playing with? I mean, for a lot of the times, it was a summer league roster he's playing with in that second unit. And you're absolutely right. Like, Dame barely gets – I mean, it's it's a big deal if Dame gets 10 assists. Like, we just don't – we don't have a scheme that really calls for a lot of ball movement, to be, mm. to be perfectly honest. We are definitely one of the more ISO-heavy teams. And, uh, yeah, like – who he plays with. I mean, I assume that, well, I can pull it up. Where was the game where we were healthy? Um, uh, Houston? The first game of the season? 
Well, he wasn't part of the. He was the sixth man for that game against Denver. I'm pulling up the Milwaukee just because that was the first one I could see. So, yeah, he was playing with Nasir Little, Mario Hasonia, Jalen Horde, and Gary Trent Jr. There, there's not many That's shooters. That's the Yeah, yeah, that like there's not shooters for him to potentially get assists with. So that might be a factor. Uh, the scheme's a factor. Right now, he's kind of scoring dependent to really get his get his stats. Like he gets two rebounds a game and one point five assists. So really, if he's if he wants to have a really good game, it's coming from the scoring department. So hopefully, you know, next year he we can see a boost in assists. We can see a boost in rebound because because he can jump out the gym. Uh, it's just right now he's. Like CJ, where it's very scoring dependent for you know him staying on the court and being very uh, efficient. But yeah, like damn, I- I'm still not worried about him. But assisting less than JJ Redick, it's pretty crazy. All right, Sage. One thing that I've been seeing a lot of on Blazers Twitter, and I texted you about it is something that I wanted to discuss on this week's episode is Brandon Roy and wanting to retire his number seven. It has been reported that when new players are added to the roster, that number seven is one of the numbers that is not available for the player to choose from. As we saw with Carmelo Anthony, who has been number seven in New York, stay mellow with the seven in the hashtag. He wears his number seven hat. That's his number. That's his brand was not able to wear that. I don't know if the team has plans on retiring that number seven, but I have pretty strong feelings as to why I don't think that number should be retired. I think the Blazers are getting, uh, I think the fans are getting a little too sentimental in wanting that number retired. And I see their reasoning. Uh, Roy was almost a unanimous rookie of the year. He was a three-time all-star He had a lot of legendary moments for this team. You got the .8 shot against Houston on national television. You have the comeback against the Dallas Mavericks down 23 points in in the fourth quarter. I think he scored 24 points in in the fourth. Just an incredible comeback. One of the best two guards during his time. He had an absolutely elite year in 08-09. Was second team All-NBA, only behind Kobe Bryant. But... I think there are a lot of factors that go into getting that that number retired. I mean, that is, I think, only below getting a statue outside of the arena. That's that's the peak for a player for a single franchise. And, you know, I was looking at at his numbers. And you, you look at Brandon Roy and... There's just too many factors, I think, fighting against him. I think longevity is one. And you could say, well, Bill Walton only played four or five years in Portland. Well, Walton was an MVP and led us to our only championship. Those things hold a lot of weight. Brandon was only able to play five years in Portland. And he was dinged up that that last year in 2010-2011. Then you also have to look at, at team success. Unfortunately, a Brandon Roy-led roster only won two games in the playoffs. No more than two games in the playoffs. So we were one and done. 
in 0809 against the Rockets with home court advantage. We then lost to the Phoenix Suns the following year in six games, and then we lost the following year in 2011 to the eventual champion Dallas Mavericks in, in six games. And it's not that I dislike Brandon. I, I absolutely loved watching B Roy play. I had season tickets throughout his his tenure, uh, starting in 07, 08 through 2010, 2011. So I had an up close, really bird's eye view to what Roy meant for the city and for the fans saying that he revitalized the, the the franchise. I completely agree with that. There were some dark times in Portland. We were coming off a couple of seasons where we were the worst team in the NBA. You know, Paul Allen was kind of going through the public eye with wanting public funding for the then Rose Garden. And I don't know how serious the rumors are about Portland potentially moving were because you always get that that hyperbole and paranoia out there because we are a small market and we're always afraid of losing our team. But again, it was out there and the team was going through that jailblazer era and he brought us out of that. And he was our unquestioned leader. He was a big shot maker. He was clutch. He delivered in the big moments. Uh, He was Dame in terms of clutch time before Dame. I would be more open to retiring Brandon Roy's jersey if number 25 was already in the rafters. And that's really where I am. My argument stems from is because to me, Jerome Kersey embodies what a trailblazer was. You look at where he ranks career in the Portland trailblazers records. He is number two in games played number four in minutes played number six in field goals made number five in free throws made number three in rebounds number nine in assists number three in steals number six in blocks number six in points number six in win shares he played 11 seasons in Portland he played at least 63 games at each and every season in nine of those 11 seasons he played at least 73 games he went all out. I mean, this was a guy who put his body on the line each and every night. He was the heartbeat of the best era in franchise history. He had the team success. He was part of that run where they made the Western Conference Finals three straight years, the NBA Finals twice, and was a part of that 63 win, which is still the franchise record for win team in 1990-91. He sub- basically took that starting job away from Kiki Vandeweghe, who we basically sold the farm to get. I mean, here's this second round kid out of Longwood College in Virginia, and he comes out of nowhere and he just sparks the team, his athleticism, his hustle. He was the one that just made those amazing plays on the break, just really pumped up the crowd like none other. And then you factor what he did within the community. He was a part of the Blazers community after he played, you know, he went out on the road on those make it better tours with the late Kevin Duckworth. And he still stayed. Like I remember being in the office and seeing just Jerome around and you could just walk up to him, say hi, just very personable, just a great person for the community. And so I, I hold that in high value and that holds a lot of weight to me. To me, Jerome was the unquestioned third best player on those Blazer teams. And to me, it's a little bit of a slap in the face that only Drexler and Porter have been honored from from that era because without that era, I I don't know where the Blazers are at now because they had the the amazing success in the late 70s, but the 80s were full of mediocrity. 
And yes, they made the playoffs, but they sure as hell weren't doing anything with it. Jerome, Kersey, Drexler, Porter, Williams, Duckworth, Cliffy, Rick Adleman, they brought Blazer Mania back. And so if you're going to give Brandon Roy credit for revitalizing the Blazers, you also need to do that with Jerome Kersey because Blazer Mania wasn't there. It, it was it was dormant. It was a volcano. People were still going to the games. The sellout streak still stood. But it just wasn't that passion that it was in the early 90s in which it, it has now continued to go today. So what I wanted to see from... Brandon, Jerome Kersey really delivered. Like to me, it's it's weird that we've only seen Brandon Roy in Portland once since he retired. Um, I know it's probably weird for him, but you know, as fans, we want to see our players come back. And so I think it had we see Brandon make more of an effort to come back to Portland, uh, I might be more lenient on, on retiring the number. And I also want to make it clear that I don't care that Portland has a ton of players retired that maybe wouldn't for for other franchises. Uh, that that's has no weight on whether we should retire another one. Those players earned their right. They won their championship, or they put up individual accolades that were just unprecedented. It just should be an individual by individual basis. And so, for me, I would go with Jerome. And then if we get Jerome, then okay. Uh, I'm more open to Brandon Roy, but if we retire Roy's jersey before Kersey, I'm going to riot, Sage. A, a lot of people have very deep connections with them because he was the the superstar of the team when they started watching, or they took a break, and then Brandon was the person that brought them back to the team to be like fans of it. So I get it. Brandon Roy has a deep connection with the fans of Portland, especially the people on Twitter, because the people on Twitter happen to be in our age bracket. So they've seen, they've seen them, you know, Jerome Kersey played in the nineties. A lot of these people on Twitter were like babies. So I think, yeah, shit, I'm old too. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I get it. Brandon Roy had a lot of, he did a lot of great things. I mean, like I, I've I've talked to Stu, a friend of the program, Stu, about Brandon Roy, and he loves him. And I know a lot of people love him. So why not both? Why not just retire both? As long as Jerome's first, I'm <laughs> but yeah, I've been I've been on the don't retire his jersey wagon for, for quite some time. So this isn't just something out of the blue. I was just trying to be really subjective. Or excuse me, really objective about it. Like facts, stats, community. I mean, because Portland's going to have a, a tough decision. Uh, what are they going to do with Lamarcus Aldridge? He ranks in the top ten of a lot of those same categories that Jerome Kersey did, but again, didn't really have the team success. And I'm always iffy when players leave voluntarily, as Lamarcus did, especially the manner in which it happened. Uh, 12 months after saying I want to be the best trailblazer of all time, I I would feel much more strongly in not retiring LA's jersey than 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 Brandon. I think Brandon did more for the franchise than than Lamarcus did. So again, it, it's all subjective in terms of who gets their number up there. But you're probably right, Sage. It probably should be both. To me, I I just am kind of baffled that we haven't retired. Jerome's number 25 yet. Especially uh, after he passed. This, yeah. I mean, his 
He has a foundation still running in, in the city. Again, all of the work he did in the community, like that needs to matter. And again, I am all for retiring. I think six Blazers from the 77 team had their number retired. I am all for that. Like that is, that is the one championship that, that is the goal. But if you're not going to also honor and reward an even better era, yes, it didn't come with a championship, but it was longer sustained success. I'm not calling for six members of a 90-92 team to get retired, but to only have two again, and maybe I'm showing my bias because that's the team that got me involved with the Blazers. I mean, it's the same. It's literally the same thing as the Roy thing. It is. I, I just happen to really appreciate I think Kersey has the longevity. I think he has the team success and I think he has the community involvement or Brandon is probably the, the better p- overall talent. He just lacks the longevity, lacks the statistics and, and lacks the team success. So again, it's, it's what do you put weight on? Like you're, you're a, you've been a longer fan of new Orleans than you have for Portland. Are there any former Hornets slash Pelicans that, that you feel should have their number retired. Like what are your thoughts on Chris Paul and Anthony Davis? Both of them are transcendent. So yeah, I would, I would throw David West in there as well. And probably Tyson. I mean, luckily for me in my time as a new Orleans fan, they've only existed since 2002. I was very aware and present of how, you know, who, who's who been great from New Orleans. With Portland, they were in the 70s. So it was a longer time to, like, really critique each and every player for this honor of getting their jersey retired. So, it get, like, it's era-based, too. Like, I, I honestly think Jerome Kersey should be his, his uh, number number retired but i can also see the case why a lot of people especially people in our era or my age want want brandon to be his number to be enshrined and up there in the rafters so i think there's valid points for everybody i think that both are very very uh valid of getting these that this accomplishment and hopefully brandon can be more of a presence in portland after his number gets retired I mean, when's the last time a number was retired? It was during the 08-09 season. I think it was December of 08. They actually decided to retire the number 30 twice. One for Bobby Gross, one for Terry Porter. So they did, I think, back-to-back retirement ceremonies. Oh, yeah, because of the double. It's been 12 years, uh, 11 years and and a month or two. So it's been quite, quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I think they can make a really nice uh, send off for both. Uh, or very nice way of uh, paying homage to both of them and their accomplishments. And, uh, you know, they could, they could make this thing a very wonderful experience for everybody involved. If they retired both guys, I mean, it, it, it show, you know, that each year that this team has been involved is very important to the city and the community. So let's get both of them. And people don't know Jerome Kurt. Like a lot of people did not watch those ninety games because it's really hard to find it on YouTube. I think having him get honored might sh- 
make people want to experience what Jerome Kersey was and, you know, what the 90s Blazers meant to the 2020 Blazers. All right, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break, then come back and predict the week, the week's upcoming games. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, we both went three and one on predictions last week, getting everything right except for the Houston game. Neither of us saw that one coming, so that was a pleasant surprise. Good shit, Jerry Stotts. Good shit. <laughs> for the year, I am uh, crawling my way back out of the sub-500 hole and nearing the top 21 and 23. You're sitting firm at 26 and 18. I haven't been able to make up any ground we are going to preview uh, two games this week, both on national television, TNT. We have the Golden State Warriors Monday on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Thursday, the 23rd, against Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Sage. Is it at home? Are both at home? Both games are at home. This will be the third game against the Golden State Warriors. Portland recently defeated Golden State 122-112 to in Portland back on December 18th. Uh, the Warriors announced that Steph Curry could be coming back as soon as March 1st, but he will not play. It looks like we will see D'Angelo and Draymond Green. They did have a, a pretty big win uh, recently. They're still in, in the cellar of the Western Conference at uh, 10 and 34. But Sage, what should we be watching out for when it comes to the Golden State Warriors, a team that is a shell of their former selves. Draymond doesn't really want to play games unless they're like essentially gear, uh, you know, on national TV, which this one is, and that they have a very good chance at winning. So let's see, let's see what this team's all about. Draymond did I not mean, play in their recent fourteen-point victory over the Magic. Yeah, he has a 18th. finger. He has a finger that's injured uh, that uh, is messing him up, and uh, uh, yeah, sprained left finger. And then uh, Glenn Robinson has an ankle that uh, he did not play against the Magic on the uh, 18th. Um, Glenn Robinson's had a re- like a very quietly great season for him. Him and Alec Burks have been really nice uh, surprises, but Eric Pascal has been looking good. But I mean, once if Delo's playing, the team is focused on Delo. He has a really big usage rate. He gets the team involved. I mean, when he's playing Kai Bowman, who had a really good ge- game against us the first time we met, goes to the G League so he doesn't waste those days. So I think the first thing we got to do is focus up on trying to stop Delo from, you know, having one of his ceiling games against us. And Portland is bringing up Moses Brown for this game. Uh, they will, the Blazers will not have Trevor Ariza, Caleb Swanigan, or Wenyel Gabriel available. As you mentioned correctly on the last podcast, Sage, we have to wait for Gabriel's contract to kind of finalize. And so I think we'll hear by Tuesday or Wednesday 
that trade being announced. And so I would expect those players to be available Thursday against Dallas, but they will not be here for Monday's game. CJ McCollum and his ankle, uh, it seems like it's not super severe. It's pretty mild, but again, who knows whether they determine uh, if he'll play or not. Uh, it is the worst team in the Western Conference, so you would probably, I would predict that he still sits. You, I think you should rest him. Uh, Moses Brown, again, gives you another big man. Uh, to me, I think this is a, a really good contest for Anthony Simons to break out, especially if he's going to get the start. Uh, they're not, it, this isn't Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, like D'Angelo Russell and Kai Bowman and Jordan Poole. They're not going to put the clamps down on you or make it difficult. I would really like to see him get going. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised to see Nasir Little get the start uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm excited to see what he can do against the Golden State Warriors. And again, the, the matchup that I'm really going to watch is going to be Pascal versus Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he He's a big bully, but so Carmelo is a thick boy as well. And he's had his way with uh, opponents in the post. He had a really strong performance uh, on this last road trip where he was just doing work, just basically clearing guys out like he was in 2K and just backing down, backing down, getting an up and under or going to the free throw line. So, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Can we get Simons kind of off? Can we, can we continue to run some offense through Melo and can we just play Dame less than 35 minutes at this point? Like, I don't want to see Dame play more than 35, uh, regardless of the outcome. I think Hassan Whiteside is going to be a big factor as well. They're not a good rebounding team. Just think about, you know, who their bigs are. They're not really like grinders when it comes to getting rebounds. I mean, Draymond probably, but like he had a 16 and 23 performance the last time we faced Golden State. That's Hassan. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, like, there's no one who can compete with him to get those rebounds. So I think Hassan has to be a major factor in this game as well. Just like the rebound and those possessions, Hassan, and those re- rebounds uh, and those possessions, everybody. But Hassan, I mean, just because of what position he plays and how close he is to the basket, I mean, that's that that's hit on him to get those rebounds offensively and defensively. We want to get those extra possessions. So I think rebounding has to, those hustle boards have to be a humongous factor in the Blazers victory. Portland won the rebounding battle 57 to 50 in that last contest, but really got destroyed from the three point line. That is what I'm going to be looking out for is how Portland defends the perimeter. We shot just nine of 31 for 29% while allowing Golden State to go off. They shot 16 of 38, 42% from downtown. They have to defend that line. I think that's going to be the deciding factor in the game, despite probably having eight or nine guys, despite not having CJ in my estimation, I would be surprised if Portland drops this one. I, I think they're just more, I still think they're more talented and I think they still are playing with a lot of pride. They, they played really hard in each and every one of these contests. Uh, I like Portland to get this one, get this one done. What do you say, Sage? I mean, we have Dame and they have D'Lo who's really good, but he ain't, he ain't, you know, all pro Damian Lillard. So yeah, I would go with Blazers victory and, uh, get this week started off right. And so that brings Portland's uh, final contest of the week against the Dallas Mavericks, a team they are pretty familiar with uh, one and one so far on the season, including that most recent eight point loss at the hands of, of the Mavericks. Sage, how incredible 
it is Luka Doncic. And you've got to be kind of scared if you're the rest of the league that this kid's only 20 years old. I mean, I think it is a legit statement to say if you're starting a franchise today, you'd probably go Luka. He might be the clear cut number one. And that's no disrespect to Giannis, but how young and how skilled he is. Giannis is the physical freak and he, he is skilled, but just pure talent, like the shooting, the decision making, the passing, his positional height, like those tall point guards, like the Magic Johnsons, those are rare and those are so difficult to defend. I've, I was watching a lot of Blazers Lakers from the from the 91 era and the Blazers had to double Magic every time. I mean, he was just so incredible at, at just picking apart the defense and that's really what you have to do with Luka, too. And Luka has uh, a step back three in his arsenal. So, I mean, I think you're you're just absolutely floored if you're a Dallas fan. You, you win that title with Dirk. You have one year of kind of tanking. And you're rewarded with a gener- a truly generational player. I mean, he is he is so much better than I could have ever imagined. And he, he there's a valid case, Sage. He could win MVP and most improved player this year. And then uh, Chris Stapps uh, was uh, cleared to practice on Sunday and hopes to play against the Clippers. So we'd have to go against both of them on Thursday. I mean, it makes their team a lot more scary just because you don't have to play Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleber. You can have them just split the 48 at center instead of playing them at the same time. So they're, they have more depth now. Chris Stapps is... I think he shoots in the perimeter too much, which might be a good thing for us. But do we put Mello on him and incentivize the three? Um, how do how would you defend Chris Stapps? I think Mello has the strength to absolutely bully him, but it's just Chris Stapps is fucking tall. Yeah, you can't put Hassan out there. You want Hassan near the rim as much as possible. Again, that's going to be tough because. Kleber can shoot the ball for, from mm-hmm. downtown, and it, it's it's going to be tough. Dallas has a lot of shooters. Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, yeah, Seth a great Curry, game Obviously, I I encourage Chris Stapps to be as further as far away from the basket as possible. Just defend him, uh, make sure he's not getting open looks. And quite frankly, as long as Luca's not shooting the basketball, I think you just it's the same thing with James Harden. You just have to kind of uh, hope that the role players don't beat you. Um, I was watching a Dallas Mavericks Pelicans game. Brandon Ingram was bullying Chris Stapps. Could you imagine what Carmelo Anthony could do against Chris Stapps if Brandon Ingram's slight ass is pushing him out of the paint? Like, I, I Chris Stapps, let's see his usage rate. He has a 23% usage rate, which is in the 91st percentile. Anytime you could take it out of Luka Doncic's hands, it's a dub for us, man. I mean, he, he has the ball in his hands 40% of the time. He he is, he is accounts for the, the assists, the points, and the, the turnovers of this team. He is in the 100th percentile. If we can have incentivized Chris Stapps to have a, you know, a, a lot of shooting, it's, it's going to be a good thing for us. But they have a lot of good players, and, you know, everyone kind of builds around Luka which is kind of scary, and uh, I think we lose, but I think we fight like dogs to lose. Yeah, I think Dallas takes this one as well. It, it's always difficult incorporating a new piece, probably a starter in, in Trevor Ariza, 
We still don't know CJ McCollum's status. We're still going to be shorthanded even, even with Trevor Ariza. But I'm just going to watch and see what impact he can make because as we discussed on the last episode, he is auditioning for his full $12 million contract next year. And so how does he play? Is he motivated? Is he able to hit down that that corner three? How's his defense looking? Uh, the communication on defense is going to be key. Uh, that's always difficult to do. I mean, we essentially have so many new guys. We have, from last year, three new guys on the defensive front with, with Carmelo, now Ariza, and Hassan Whiteside. So the chemistry just isn't there. Who knows? We may get that new player boost, which we did when we brought in Rodney Hood and then defeated the Spurs on again. I think that was a TNT game as well. But I think the teams are just headed in two different directions, and I have the Mavericks winning. But my my X factor would be Hassan Whiteside because if we can run a lot of pick and roll and get him involved and get Dallas in foul trouble and really win that points in the paint battle, I don't think another twenty twenty game is out of the question for for the big big fella. And he he's going to get them rebounds against, well, let's say Maxi Kleber and Chris Tapps. That those are Hassans. Dominate, play with your food, make them recognize that you're a top 10 center and get them boards. All right, Sage, that'll do it for this week. Uh, podcast available wherever you get your podcasts at Holy Backboard. Sage, want to want to finish us up? All right. Uh, yeah, we're available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Himalaya Podcasts, Dash Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3. Yeah. Uh, like and five stars and leave a nice comment and uh, be nice on Twitter, people. Yeah. And if you have a differing opinion on retire the retirement for certain players, let's hear it. Like I am all for hearing differing opinions. I like Brandon Roy. I'm not a Brandon Roy hater. Just have a differing opinion from most uh, of Blazers Twitter. And if you're listening this far to hear that, thank you so much. Thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we do this for you. We do this because we love this team. It's been a tough season, but you know, I just want to shout out my guy Sage just cranking out these podcasts, especially with the emergency one. Last night he had that one out same day. And we're gonna I get this one out, I for it you. out before the game. Just a, a a monster. And so, like, we do this just because we we love we love Rip City, and we're gonna continue to do this. Episode one eighty nine. Sage, we are getting so close to 200, and uh, I can't wait. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go. Come on.